we actually talk about the danger of the view that someone else completes us. That I, you know, if I'm going to find my happiness in this person, well, that that's a relationship doomed for failure. Functional ontology is simply this: it is when you ask a person to introduce themselves. You know that they have a functional ontology when they introduce themselves according to what they do, to their functions. Their identity is in their job, in any sort of function in life. You're listening to the Holy Joys Podcast, co-hosted by Jonathan Arnold and Dr. David Fry. Visit us at holyjoys.org and stay tuned for weekly discussions of theology and ministry practice, all for a holy, happy church. Dr. Fry and I are very pleased to have Sonia Vernon with us today. Uh, she's the Vice President for Student Affairs at God's Bible School and College and uh, has been part of the Student Affairs Department since 2000, uh, when I was about five years old. <laughs> uh, and uh, during her tenure there, she served as Dean of Women for 18 years. So uh, appreciate your service to GBSC. And uh, you've made a uh, huge impact on a lot of lives. I know that. I've heard the stories. And it's a joy to have you here to talk about uh, singleness and celibacy. And this is a subject that I've been thinking about for a few years. A couple of years back, I had written a, a short article on it because it was something that uh, I had some concerns about. I have friends. I have um, loved ones who are single and not always appreciated the way that they've been treated um, I think some of the expectations are unfair and reasonable and not sure that we always do a great job in the church uh, on this issue. I want to try to do better, try to better honor Jesus. And uh, why don't you just start by telling us why you feel like this is something the church needs to be thinking about and needs to be talking about. Well, thank you, Jonathan. And, and thank you both for having me on. It's an honor, really an honor to be here. And I appreciate the ministry that you all have. It's blessed me personally. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. Obviously, as a single person, this is something very close to my heart because I live it every day. And as a happy single person, I want to point out, um, I'm, and I'm grateful for that, that whatever God calls us to, he equips us for and gives us joy in that journey. I do think this is an extremely important topic right now. We are obviously living in an age where sexuality is rampant in every expression. Um, basically, there, it's no holds barred. Whatever you want, whoever you want to be, whatever you want to do, you can do that. Well, as a church, we are called to a very specific sexual ethic, um, a very specific way of living where we have uh, basically two options, either, either we are in a committed, uh, monogamous, heterosexual relationship, or we live, uh, we live chaste, celibate lives. And if we are going to offer that up, then we need to have a home for everyone within that sexual ethic and not just one side of, of the equation or, or the other. And, uh, and we need to offer a happy home for those people, um, not to view singles as, as abnormal or deficient in some way, but as just another part of the body of Christ that have things to offer and uh, are powerful parts of the body of Christ. And, and so I, I think the church really does have something to offer. I have experienced uh, a wonderful experience being single and loving Jesus. And uh, I want the church to, to do better at including and, and harnessing that, that part of the body that I don't think is being utilized very well right now. Yeah. I appreciate your emphasis on the happiness and the wholeness that you can experience as a single person. Um, actually one of the, uh, one of the writer's speakers who brought this issue to my attention years ago was Sam Alberry. And I remember him saying the most fulfilled human being to ever live, our model for a wholeness as human beings was Jesus. And he was a single man. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you wrote an article for Holy Joys, helping singles find a home in the body of Christ. Uh, it's an excellent article. Very helpful. 
and our listeners should go read that. But you asked this question, how can the body of Christ, that unmarried God-man who changed the course of history, more effectively minister to those who are walking alone? And I just, I just really appreciate that emphasis. Like our Savior um, was, was single and celibate. And if you, you look down on singleness and celibacy as somehow less than, you're mm-hmm. looking down on the Savior um, and you're looking down on the Apostle Paul, right? <laughs> right. And you're looking down on right. some of the greatest theologians, mm-hmm. church fathers, influencers in the history mm-hmm. of the church. You mentioned some some women in your article as well that have shaped human history. And uh, how do you think that, why do you think it is maybe that people do seem to think of singleness and celibacy mm-hmm. as like a lesser option? What are some some things that you've maybe encountered? Mm-hmm. That That's very, that's a great question. Um, I think a few things. I also want to say clearly that by talking about my gratitude and happiness in singleness, I am in no way playing sour grapes uh, just because I can't be married. I am going to be so happy being single, you know, and those people that are married, you know, I don't, I don't feel that way at all. I am grateful for the godly marriages, the godly families that have impacted my life. So I want to be very clear that I am not a bitter single person over here, um, just kind of entrenching in my quote unquote happiness um, and saying, well, Jesus was single, you know, so I want to be really careful uh, with that as well. But I'm not sure exactly where the paradigm comes from. It could be sometimes, particularly as a single female, I think sometimes we relegate women to one role um, and maybe misunderstand scripture in, in thinking that there's really only one thing women can do, and that is be married and bear children. There again, motherhood and child rearing are, are callings from God and, and wonderful, beautiful things if that's what God has called us to. But I believe in scripture, we do see that that women God calls women to other things as well. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I feel like I've experienced that a little bit as a female. Sometimes like, you know, are you, you know, are you seeing anyone? Is there anything? Mm-hmm. And I, and people mean it well. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, again, not angry or bitter about that at all. It's always very well meant, but the implication is, that there is something more that you're not experiencing. There again, marriage is wonderful. And there are days when I would love to experience that. I'm not going to just act like that's not the case. But I also believe that we can find joy in wherever God calls us and in whatever we, he calls us to. So I, I think, I think it, it may be some from that view. I you know, I don't know that I would know historically where that comes from. I, I will just tell you, and this is totally anecdotal. I have zero uh, other uh, information to back this up. But my personal experience of feeling the most accepted and validated has been in churches that would have a less uh, fundamentalist, honestly, a less fundamentalist view of, of, a, of a woman's role. And I have felt more accepted and validated in my position as a single person within that community um, as just another person in the body of Christ and another disciple that had a job to do. Now, I'm not throwing stones at any of our fundamentalist friends. I don't mean to do that at all. I I just that's been a weird experience that I've had. And um, so there again, I'm not just trying to to throw rocks at people. Uh, So I, I don't know if I have a good answer. Yes, hey, sir. First of all, thanks for being with us. Uh, this is this is a, such a needed topic uh, pastorally, and so I have several pastoral questions I want to get to before our time sure. ends here. But before we get to those, uh, you're talking about the different experiences mm-hmm. that, say, a, a single female versus a single male may mm-hmm. have. And if I hear what you've just said, um, that the difference in experience has a lot to do with perceived roles. Between male and female, possibly. Uh, is that, okay, okay, and, and of course, I, that, I can and only I can actually only speak from a female perspective, right? Because yeah, I've yeah. never experienced a single male 
you know, well, sure, role. sure. But but you have well. Let me just ask you this. I, I think I know what I have seen mm-hmm. uh, as a pastor. But have you seen or heard? the sort of tone or attitude from people and I'm talking within the church broad church sure. world where there's a where there seems to be more uh, pity toward a single female than a single male yes i definitely have experienced that now so what we, we joke say then about we joke men. about single men right mm, i mean yeah. you know all they yeah. need to get a wife but as far as actual pity, it almost is like, who will take care of you? Mm, mm, and, okay. um, and again, there is something in me that as a single female, I think we would love, we love to be nurtured and cared for. Sure. So that's not something I'm, I would kick against and, you know, go into the, I am woman, hear me roar mode. <laughs> that's not <laughs> what I'm saying here. But again, I, I don't think I, I have experienced perceived, because I don't know mm-hmm. intent, perceived mm-hmm. pity at times because somehow I've, I've missed this having a man care for me. I just yeah. wanted to plug in quickly uh, a reference to uh, an article that I know, Sonia, you saw and had interacted with a bit. Jason Albertson wrote an article and we expanded mm-hmm. that, edited it, pub- republished it on Holy Joys, uh, titled Help Meet Theology and the mm-hmm. Denigration of Women, where he talks about hypergendered theology in uh, many forms of religious fundamentalism and how uh, help meet theology, as he's defining it, you know, limits women's purpose to mm-hmm. being a helpmate to a man. Um, and so I think for women, it's it, it may be related to this issue of purpose sure. in life. My experience is, you know, I mentioned like at the beginning with uh, people that I knew who had, I thought, been treated unfairly. Th- they were mostly, uh, mostly um, men. And there the emphasis was more on like kind of this like sexual conquest type idea mm. where I talked about growing up in high school. You know, there was all this, this the movie came out, uh, The 40-Year-Old Virgin. And it's like, if you don't have a, a woman, it must mean that you're not able to get one. It must mean that, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to, you're never going to be happy. And you're, you know, so there was this, this incredible pressure upon young boys to get a girlfriend, to have a, you know, a sexual encounter, or you were going to live an empty, meaningless life. So I think there can be some of that like masculinity dynamic coming in there from, mm-hmm. from a male side, which can be especially crippling, at least in my, my observation to mm-hmm. men who maybe aren't don't see themselves as more aggressive personalities or more, you know, maybe tend to be more tender or quiet natured or whatever that can be really crippling for them in my experience. Sure. And, and I, it, it, ironically, as you were saying that I was remembering conversation, I had conversations rather I had as a younger person. And, and I think as younger people growing up, we're always wondering if something's wrong with us anyway. Right. I mean, am I going to fit in? And and then as a female in the dynamic in which I grew up, it kind of seemed like, well, something must be wrong with me because I'm not getting married. And I actually had men, well-meaning, mention to me that I was too assertive, um, that I, my personality was not such, and, and they didn't say it in a mean way. I don't mean that at all, but that I intimidated men and therefore they were afraid of me. I don't know if that's true or not. I know I have an assertive personality. I, I do think that's a little hard on men too, to, to say that I could easily overwhelm them. Um, uh, and again, maybe that's me, but it was interesting. I didn't fit that mold, that expected mold. And because of that, um, I kind of eliminated myself from the running. And Mm. uh, that was an interesting thing to think through because, you know, I I tried to do what I could to be appropriately feminine without squelching the personality that I believe God gave me um, to minister in certain ways. So it's an interesting, again, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, so that's a threat to a man, an assertive woman is a threat to a man if the man is already conditioned to think of certain roles as male, right? And, and exclusive to to maleness, <laughs> and uh, and this is not to get into you know a complementarian egalitarian right, right, you know exactly. issue. I mean, obviously, right. I touched on it, but I'm talking about beyond that. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about mm-hmm. just everyday life 
personality and what it looks like in the workplace and school and, and, and in church and family. And yeah, so there are definitely, uh, you know, preconditions to, uh, th- that we have as men that, um, that my, or if we have those preconditions that would set us, uh, at this ease, uh, sure. with an assertive mm-hmm. person. And, and it's, and let me mention here too, that some of that is, we're talking about, you know, male, female here, but, uh, this, this can be acro- across several different demographics. It could, sure. this could, same thing could be said toward a person of color or towards a person of a different age or a person of a, mm-hmm. of a different culture or mm-hmm. a person of a different social or economic standing, right? I mean, it's across the board. We, we have certain preconditions and that includes male, female as well. So let me, let me introduce a, a concept for our listeners here uh, that it's, it's a technical term, but I think it'll have meaning for you. And it's what's called functional ontology. So don't let the term, you know, just, you know, spin you into misunderstanding, but functional ontology is simply this. It is when you ask a person uh, to introduce themselves, you know that they're function, they have a functional ontology when they introduce themselves according to what they do to their functions. Their identity is in their job, in their, uh, any, any sort of function in life, Right. And so we often, sometimes just out of convenience, tend to categorize or label people according to the function we think they ought to have, or maybe the function they do have. And uh, so functional ontology is one way of thinking about people, but I want to challenge that and say, you know, many of us do think that way, but that's not the right way to think about a person, that they're that their role in life or their, uh, their being who they are as a person is, is determined by what they do because that becomes very utilitarian. A person who can't do much doesn't have as much value, uh, or they only have value in so far as they can do this or that. So, uh, we, we want to steer away from, from that, way of thinking. And I think that, I think that comes down to what you've said, Sonia, here, uh, the, the view that people have, uh, maybe, maybe a difference even between a single male and a single female. Uh, so let's not, you know, I want to warn people don't fall into a functional ontology, defining people according to what they do. Now I want to bring up, actually, let me, um, let me ask a, a pastoral question. Uh, here, uh, because I just had this conversation, and the question was asked uh, within within our church. Uh, we have a uh, you know very robust uh, small group ministry, and we tend to avoid, and we intentionally avoid, I should say, um, demographic view, uh, uh, groups based on demographic. So, you know, we don't have a singles group. We don't have a, you know, all men's group. All, you know, if, if people want to do that, they're welcome to, but that's not what our groups are. They're, they're all mixed. Um, speaking particularly in that sort of ministry, a small group class activities, give me, give me the singles perspective of on What's it look like if a pastor gets up and announced, "Hey, we're going to start a singles group"? <laughs> oh, how, what's what? How's that sound? Sure, I, I actually really appreciate this question, and I, I promise not to get up on a soapbox. Um, I do. I love <laughs> the way you described your small groups. I think I, I think there. I am not just saying there's no value in a singles group. Um, I actually, at one point in, in my life was part of a, a single Sunday school class that was a vibrant group of young people seeking God, serving God, studying scripture. Ironically, it was a singles class, but we talked almost never about Mm -hmm. being single. Mm -hmm. We just studied the Bible and that was amazing. 
but I, I, I fear in the church, particularly when we start subdividing by specific demographics, I think we lose mm-hmm. something really important, yeah, uh, particularly, I think, for our singles who and and I would say for our families, because yes. I think both singles and marrieds, they there needs to be that interaction because we all have things to bring to the table mm-hmm. and all have perspectives that if, if I don't hear perspective from my married friends, there's things I would never know because I'm not married. Um, mm-hmm. And I think as a single person, I think I have an, an important perspective to bring to the table as well. And so I think we lose. Now, if, if there's a particular study that a group wants to do, great. But again, I've seen single groups that were defined by their being singles groups. And honestly, if I I will just tell you, I don't go to them. And when I saw who went, sometimes I was just discouraged. (laughs) Sorry if that's too blunt, but (laughs) it seems like a lot of times it ended up trying to be a matchmaking service. Yeah, And, And that is just, it feels weird. It just does. And again, I'm not trying to be unkind because I know there's good people who have done that for really good reasons. And so please forgive me if that sounds unkind, but I I just feel like, (laughs) I just feel like we're missing something when we subdivide like that. Um, And I, I just, I really appreciate, and I, and I think it, it allows us to be known as people once again, not by the functional ontology that you were talking about. Right. Yeah. It, I have I I am Sonia Vernon with my own perspectives and my own views and, and who I am, my own studies of scripture, not just Sonia Vernon, the single person, um, you know, and yeah. so I'm going to yeah. be in the church as a single person. And that's how, yeah. what defines me. It's uh, I think we were talking at one point, you know, our culture um you know, wants to let our sexuality define us. And in the church, we say, no, our sexuality shouldn't define us. We are so much more than our sexuality. But then when we subdivide like that, our sexuality almost defines us. Yeah. And yeah. I think I think that's extremely unfortunate because mm-hmm. we are more than our sexuality. It's part of who we are. It's mm-hmm. absolutely part of who we are. And we have to deal with that appropriately. But it's not only, it's not just yeah. who we are. So, yeah, so I'm glad to hear you say that because I think the church often moves away from a proper image of God theology Mm. into categories, uh, placing people into categories that are um, imposed or maybe, you know, commonly used outside of the church. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and, And so the church, we have to be really, really careful that we don't categorize people um whether it's small group ministry or or sunday school or any 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 other way categorize people in those sorts of social constructed ways yes um which which leads me to this um i want to talk a little bit about image of god theology because this is i think maybe there are a lot of common misunderstandings here about God creating us male and female, the particular relationship between male and female. Now, I want to say this, and and I said this a couple of weeks ago in a sermon that I preached, um, and that is that as, uh, and let me speak for myself as a married man, um, I must be aware of the common cultural idea that I, that my wife is the one who completes me or that I complete her mm-hmm. or that her happiness is dependent upon me or mine on her. And I've heard, you know, sincere Christians fall into that on the mm-hmm. basis that, well, see, God created us male and female and he created us in the image of God. And so we we bear out the image of God insofar as Adam has Eve. You know, after all, God said it's not, you know, it's it's not good for man to be alone. Um and and I, I preached a sermon on that, by the way, back in the fall of 2020. Um and uh it, and that's not particular about 
marriage. Obviously, there's there's marriage here, but marriage is merely the metaphor of what God's talking about here. It's not the reality. The truth is that God is has offered us an image that can be used and a metaphor in this life to show us that God is the one who completes us. Yes. We don't complete ourselves. That's the first statement mm-hmm. in image of God theology and in, in Genesis one twenty seven. The first point is we don't complete ourselves. But secondly, here it is it is uh, it, it is not Eve completing Adam. <laughs> it is Eve and Adam becoming available to each other to image something, not to be the reality. So I, I want to hear your thoughts and reflections on this. I know you you have a lot of, of thoughts and reflections. Let's hear some of them. Oh, I, I love that. That's, yes, my heart just, I wanted to cheer, but I wasn't sure it was appropriate as you oh, were talking. I, we like cheering on this podcast. <laughs> oh, yes, a hundred times yes. And it's it's ironic. Um, I Our students here that want to date uh, have to talk to me. And um, we actually talk about the danger of the view that someone else completes us. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that I, you know, if I'm going to find my happiness in this person, well, that that's a relationship doomed for failure. And one, once again, this is never, and I know I've said this before, but I want to be so clear. I want people to hear me so clearly as a single female that I am, this is not to bash the beauty of intimacy within marriage. Again, praise God for that. And it, it is a beautiful uh, metaphor. It's a beautiful, we were made for intimacy. And I think we can't forget that either as single people. Uh, we were made for intimacy. And I think we can uh, find, obviously find that intimacy with God, but he's also made us for community and yes. understanding those needs as well. And that, that took me a while, honestly, to understand as a single person and, and start to become aware of that. But yes, I think understanding that that we bear this beautiful image, both male and female, um, the image of God within us, treating each other like that, but realizing, yes, he is the only one who can truly fulfill me. He is the yeah. only one where I truly can find my joy and my peace and my happiness. All of that is rooted in him. And then I, I think, you know, if if and when, you know, God would send a partner to me, wow, what? how much better am I prepared for a relationship when I'm bringing somebody who is wholly and fully finding my joy in Christ and not putting a burden on someone else mm-hmm. to find that mm-hmm. happiness and fulfillment in them. Yeah. And, and there again, I would, I would just say a word to single people. Um, you know, if you're looking for a relationship, number one, who that, that's going to try to do that for you, uh, you're headed for heartache. Number two, mm-hmm. if you're looking at ch- for a church that's going to try to do that for you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're talking a lot about how to serve singles in the church, but I think as single people, it's not the church's job to fulfill me. That's mm. that's something I can only find in Jesus. And yes, I think we can serve them better. And I think singles can serve the church. But there again, it's it's in Christ. It's it's fully in yeah. Christ. And then as I come as a whole person, either to a church or other relationships, whatever, mm. um, then I can actually have an impact for the kingdom because I'm not seeking for something yeah. else. Yeah. So this is where the the we we do not have i should speak for myself i do not have in the church world which i have been in and pastored and largely this is my fault have not developed a robust theology of celibacy and singleness mm-hmm. and to the extent that i can articulate well how it is i know it's true i believe with all my heart that it's that it is true that a single male or a single female is no less in the image of God than than a married person. There's mm-hmm. no no difference whatsoever. The only difference is in the metaphor that God has right. has chosen in marriage. But there is something in singleness and celibacy that likewise reflects 
something of the um, our our um, completeness in our Creator mm-hmm. that is not reflected in marriage, right? So I've I've had a hard time knowing how to articulate that. Um, and maybe you can help me with that, but I want to, I want to not, I want to go beyond saying, because I think surely it's obvious to, to Christians that a single person's no less in the image of God than a married person. But I want to go beyond that and say, no, it's, it's not just that. That's, that's a negative statement of, in a sense. I want to say something positive, And that is that there is also something in a celibate single life that's reflected. That's not reflected in a married life. Yes. And yes, I, I think, and I wish I, I don't have that good theology worked out either. I wish I had something snappy to hand you and say, this is it. I don't. Um, I do think what one thing, um, and, and Paul alludes to this when he's talking about singleness. Um, one thing that, that a single person does bring to the table is an ability to wholeheartedly jump into the work of the kingdom Mm -hmm. and not be as distracted with other uh, God-given pursuits like marriage and family. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as the, as the Dean of women and now as, as a student affairs person, if I get a call out in the evening, um, that's not as disruptive to my family life (laughs) since it's Mm -hmm. just me. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's not to say that I have a life. I don't have a life separate from my work life. There sure, has to sure. be that, and I've tried to get better at at doing that. But again, I I am more available, and I am not taking something away from other responsibilities by being by being able to do the work of the kingdom. And I, I see that as a a powerful thing. I have seen ways in which I think God has used me because I was single because I had that bandwidth. And also I think my relationship with Christ, I, I hope is in a, in, in a, a better place because I am single simply. And I alluded to this in my article, but simply because of desperation, there have been times when I had no one else to turn to and I watched him come through. You know, I have a memory of being stranded by the side of the road in the dark and I was by myself. And I remember looking up and saying to the Lord, now, Lord, you promised that you would be a husband to the woman who doesn't have one. And I could sure use one right now. Mm -hmm. And I watched him take care of that situation. And and I don't want to be overly mysterious, but I, I remember and I try to not put myself in situations that would be unsafe. I just, as a single female, sure. I, I try to be careful. This wasn't had been an unavoidable situation. I'm sitting by the side of the road. It's dark. And I, I called the tow truck, whatever I was waiting. And for the 45 minutes or so until the tow truck came, the only way I can describe it is as if... And I think you guys understand this with a partner. You can be in the same room, in the same house, not talking, but experiencing companionship, a feeling of companionship, togetherness, safety, warmth. I experienced that for 45 minutes in this beautiful way that I literally felt like God being a husband to me. And there have been other times when I have been in moments of crisis and have cried out for that companionship. And have experienced it in ways I cannot explain. And that's not to say that married people don't experience that. We all have those moments with, I don't mean it like that. But I know personally, often we go to the nearest available, right? Mm -hmm. And so if I have a spouse or if I have someone else nearby, I go to that person first. When that is not an option, um, it forces me in the best possible way, it forces me to Jesus. And I think I've experienced some beautiful things because the other options were taken off the table. Mm. And uh, I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful that I've seen him come through in those moments. So I was thinking about something that Dr. Fry mentioned uh, earlier about our theology of celibacy. And I had to step away for a few minutes, so I'm not sure what I missed. But um, one of the, the things that's helped me as I've been 
working through that question is to take an eschatological perspective. If we believe that in the resurrection of Jesus and the church which he creates, uh, the, the world to come, the life of the world to come has broken in now, that we are a people of new creation, that we are new creations in Christ, then something of our life as a church ought to image the life of the world to come. And that is a world in which everyone is single and celibate in the sense that they're not, you know, with another involved with another human being uh, in that kind of marital intimacy. They're not married nor given in marriage because they're fully married to Christ. The bride has been, Christ has taken his bride. And I, I think, I wonder if the reason that people struggle with this is because they're accustomed to thinking about salvation as getting us back to Eden getting us back to the garden. And in the garden, they were married, you know, Adam and Eve. But no, God doesn't give us a picture in Genesis 1 to 3 of a finished uh, project. He gives us a picture of uh, a couple with a commission. They're to go out and subdue the earth. So Jesus doesn't get us back to the garden. He takes us forward to new creation. And that new creation is a world in which that which Adam and Eve's marriage imaged is now a reality. So a single or a celibate person who's living a fully fulfilled and happy life in the Christian community is imaging the new creation, is pointing forward to the new creation in a way that a married couple, in a different way than the married couple does. Um, And in some ways, maybe arguably an even more profound way. Um, And so what is the, you know, what would have happened if Adam had never sinned? I think there would have come a point at which Adam and Eve would no longer have been married. Because if the telos of uh, the first creation is seen in the new creation, and in the new creation, there is no longer uh, um, there is no longer human marriage because the earth has become the temple of God, and now humans and God are in this you know, full and complete marriage, which has been accomplished through the incarnation, I think it's likely that uh, God would have been incarnate and marriage would have been ultimately absolved because it would have reached its fulfillment or telos um, in uh, the new creation to come. Yeah, that reminds me of Augustine, uh, City of God, Book 19. He repeats this phrase, which is absolutely beautiful. And that is, he says, we were, we were made fit for the enjoyment of God and of each other in God. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's an eschatological view. We were created. We were we were created for a fitting relationship with God and of one another in God, so that eternally there's one marriage. There's one marriage. It's us with God. It's not us to each other. It's us, male and female, to God. Uh, who is, by the way, God Himself being suprasexual? That is, He is He is everything that is good of male and female and more, uh, so that male and female reflects who He is. But He is even more than that. Uh, he, we are fit for Him as as male and female. So I want to I want to make this point too. Speaking, you know, going back to to Eden. Um, let's dispel the notion that singleness is the result of sin or of the fall mm-hmm. as well. Uh, do we need to be clear on that? Or is that, do people understand that? Um, if not, let's just be clear. Singleness is not the result of the fall. What's, what the result of the fall is, is Adam hiding from God. And by the way, I don't know if you ever caught this or not. It doesn't say Adam and Eve hid together. Uh, in fact, I think I think there's an indication here in Genesis uh, three. Uh, he hid himself. It says, "I hid myself." I think Adam and Eve were separated at that point. They were in isol- They were a- actually isolated. They were trying to isolate themselves from God. That is what's the result of sin, not singleness. Singleness and self-isolation are two different things, Amen. right? Amen. Can you speak? Can you speak to that difference? Yes, sin sin is isolating. I think that's mm-hmm. I think that's a very 
really good way to put it. Singleness, um, singleness absolutely does not have to be isolating. I think we can be isolated as singles, but we don't have to be. Um, mm-hmm. As I said before, we are made for communion. We are made for yes. for intimacy. And um, I think the body of Christ gives us a beautiful place to be part of that, to mm-hmm. find communion with, with like-minded believers um, apart from, um, you know, removing the, the sexual, the such, the sexual part mm-hmm. of it. And, um, and yes, I mean, there will be men and women that come together in, in, in a marriage that's beautiful, but I think fellowship can go beyond that and we can find community beyond that. And, and it, I have experienced when there is sin in my life, um, I become isolated. When mm-hmm. I am, when I am plugging myself into God's community with accountability, with carefulness, with openness, with transparency, I am much less likely to fall into sin. Then, uh, and I, so I think it goes both ways. With community, I'm much less likely to fall into sin, um, and with with isolation, I am more yes. likely to fall into sin. And then right. the the opposite as well. Um, I think sin will will pull me out of that community as well. Um, and I think that's a very important yeah. distinction. Yeah. So so sin isolates. Singleness does not need to. Right. That I would make that isolate. distinction. Right. <clears throat> and let me say this: that speaking of Adam hiding himself, this is a self isolation. This is a conscious choice <laughs> to to depart to separate, to isolate. <clears throat> We're not talking about someone who may be experiencing loneliness yes. or, or, you know, solitude or something that may be a result that's outside of your control, but we're talking about self-isolation and yes. withdrawal, which is, is sin pushes people in, into that sort of unhealthy mm-hmm. isolation. <clears throat> that that is what sin does. It destroys relationships of any kind. Yes, and and ten and in fact, I can usually tell as a pastor, I can tell when a person is is has been isolating for a while. There's something going on. There's something mm-hmm. wrong. You know, mm-hmm. I need to find out. I need to check out what's right. what's happening. Right, and and I would I would say there you use the word solitude. There are times of solitude that are absolutely necessary. Yes, and and so you know, as a single person. I need to come away sometimes and mm-hmm. have, have moments of quiet and solitude mm-hmm. and even restoration in those moments. So I, I'm not talking about solitude as bad. I, I, I think we're looking at a little bit of connotations here um, of, of wording, but, but yeah, solitude and, and, and loneliness. Again, I, I think we all experience loneliness and sometimes, I mean, you can be in a crowd and feel lonely. I think loneliness is a, is a sure, tricky, sure. tricky subject. Um, and and again, I think when the body of Christ is working as it should, I think we have an answer to all of those things: appropriate solitude, appropriate community, um, you know, appropriate fellowship. To to you know, and even in my loneliness, that can help me reach out to someone else. That can actually be a doorway for me to reach out to another person in need. Um, and I think I think that's one reason I am I, I care about this topic so much is because I believe that uh, the body of Christ is so powerful in this world. If we will allow it to be in a healthy way, um, all of us can find a home there. I, I was talking to, to Jonathan a little bit before the podcast. And if we don't view singles as as a viable, important part of the body, it's almost like we've got a good arm up in a sling that we're not using um, that could be doing something in the body of Christ. But we're looking at it like, oh, that that I, that can't be any good. That doesn't look exactly like I think it should. And so we don't use it and mm-hmm. we're handicapping ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, I just I'm I'm very passionate about the body working as it should, because that's the only way that we're going to make a difference in the kingdom, in this world that desperately needs to see a healthy body. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I have a tough question. 
uh, for that, that has come up to 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 me, but it's been posed to me several times, usually by young men, but um, but this would include anyone, and that is when it comes to pastoral ministry. There is there is uh, this an expectation uh, within the church and that young pastors have for themselves that they have to be married before mm-hmm. they can begin pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that's pretty strong. That's a pretty strong um, cultural expectation. Is that, is that healthy or is that unhealthy or, and what do we, how, how should I, how should I help, you know, a young yeah. minister navigate through that? Yeah. Any, any insight? That on that? Is, ooh, well, I certainly don't have a pat answer. That's for sure. That is a very nuanced and difficult question because I've, I've heard it discussed, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't know a single pastor, but I, I think, I guess here's the way I would counter. No matter where we are in life, single, married, male, female, we all have minefields that we have to walk through. Right. And think about. And so I think as long as we know where those minefields are, we can be used. So as a single female, you know, I work in a context uh, that is primarily male. I'm working in administration that's primarily male. Well, I, I can still do that as a single female, but I'm going to be very careful with the way I act toward the married men I work with. I'm going to be be very careful with the boundaries I set. Um, I'm going to be careful what I talk about and how I talk and how I interact and the level of familiarity, et cetera. And so to, to cut off a single minister from being able to minister to a congregation is to me unfortunate, but I think he just needs to use God given common sense to understand where those minefields are, to not put himself in places, um, not live in paranoia. That's the other thing I think sometimes we can get so paranoid uh, about, you know, everything. Um, I, you know, I've had conversations with with other single women and you know, they weren't even sure if the person in authority liked them because the person in authority happened to be male, was trying to be so careful that they almost came across as rude. Now, again, I appreciate carefulness. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate men that are careful with their boundaries. But by the same token, I think we can live in this, you know, such a a world of paranoia that we can't love on each other in ways that are appropriate. But again, I think you just, you you learn where are the minefields? Where do I need to be careful? And so I'm going to move forward in a common sense way. And if God hasn't provided me a partner, but if he's opened a door for ministry, I'm going to walk through it. And yeah. maybe there are ways that I will interact with the younger females of my congregation in a careful way and put, put boundaries in there that need to be placed. That's just, yeah. that's totally off the top of my head. So, so I think we need to remember that in, in discussion of that question, that there is a very significant tradition in Christian history that says not only can single males <laughs> in this case, uh, <laughs> pastor, Yes. But they must be single, right? So there's yes. a significant tradition <laughs> there. Yes, um, obviously referring to the Roman Catholic tradition. Right. Um, but those who who and I know many who understand First Timothy three and the instructions there that an overseer must be, uh, or one of the qualifications is you know, husband of one wife, mm-hmm. and that 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 means that he must be married. Now I I don't take it that way, mm-hmm. and the church has not generally taken it that way. And the issue of, of celibate uh, pastors uh, far predates the, you know, the split of East and West Roman Catholic from Eastern Orthodox, you know, Augustine, for instance, a tremendous example of someone who chose to live a celibate life, uh, very effective as a pastor bishop. And, and the list of names goes on and on and on. So I think this is something that is a particular um, co- has particular cultural connotations here for us now. Mm-hmm. Um, some of you know, we can't ignore that. We don't want to ignore our cultural situatedness, but uh, we 
from a theological perspective, I want to say, you know, there's nothing in the history of the church. And as, as far as I understand scripture, nothing biblically that would forbid, say, mm-hmm. a young man from pastoring a church as right. a single, you know, male. Right. I wanted to go back to something that Sonia said about paranoia. Um, I get the sense sometimes, I, I'd like to hear if this is reflects your experience, that a single man, for example, can only have male friends in the church mm-hmm. and a single woman can only have women, you know, female friends in the church because, you know, men and women can't be friends. That's a, mm-hmm. a thing that we hear a lot in our culture. And I think that's devastating because although I don't believe that uh, a man needs a wife or a wife needs a husband to be fulfilled, I do think that as male and female, we were created for relationships one with another. And I yes. think there's something about, you know, even a single man or woman having friends of the opposite sex that does, you know, bring some richness and depth Mm -hmm. to their life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One, I agree with you 100%. And I have been blessed by the male friendships in my life. There again, just understanding appropriate boundaries, um, not placing myself in, in a way, like I said at the beginning, I'm my brother's keeper. Right. And so I'm not going to place myself or my brother in Christ in a place that that anything stupid could happen or anybody could even think anything stupid. But by the same token, to live in in a paranoia of not being able to have male friendships as a female, I need that input into my life. And I'm grateful for the men I work with here and the deep conversations that we're able to get into about God and the church and life, again, within an appropriate context. So, yes, I I would 100 percent agree. Thank you for listening to the Holy Joys podcast. Email your questions to podcast at holyjoys.org and they may be featured on a future episode. Our labors for a holy, happy church are supported by generous listeners like you. Please pray about partnering with us at holyjoys.org forward slash donate.